what does the average week look like for you? Sure, it may start with church on a Sunday morning, but by Monday morning, can any of us remember what the sermon was about? We spend so much of our lives doing so many things, transporting our kids around, spending too many hours in the office, trying to find time to spend with our spouse. But most of what we do related to our faith is crammed into about 80 minutes on a Sunday morning. Did you know that in a week there are 10,080 minutes? If we're spending 80 of those related to our faith, what are we doing with the other 10,000? That's what this podcast is all about. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 10,000 podcast. We know it's been a while, um, but we are back, and we are so excited to be able to be back with you all and um, really focus in on how to bring God into our 10,000. My name is Sawyer Trapp. If I haven't gotten the opportunity to meet you, whether in person or on voice, I'm our student ministry pastor here at Stapleton Church, and I'm joined, as always, by our lead pastor, Matt Wolf. Matt, how's it going? It's going well. Good. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. It's my first full week back in the office uh, from paternity leave. If you don't know, my wife Melissa and I, we had twins um, uh, just two months ago now. So I, the first month completely took off, second month just preaching, and now I'm finally back in the office. It's good to be back. Um, if I slur my speech, forgive me. Yeah, he's tired, folks. <laughs> it's okay. But it's good. Yeah, yesterday was exhausting, my first full day back. I was like, man, I was totally exhausted by like 4.30 p.m. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's okay. We're getting back. If you hear some coos in the background in this podcast, uh, my daughter Lucy is with us, joining in. She's our sound engineer for the day. <laughs> our special guest. Yeah, special guest. But uh, yeah, so we're excited to be back. I'm excited to, to dive back in to follow up on the, our messages, um, talk about significant events, and, and like I said, to to bring God into your ten thousand. Um, we have ten thousand eighty minutes in a week. Um, we spend about 80 of those at, at church on a, on a Sunday morning, maybe focused on our faith, that sort of stuff. Or Sunday evening. Or Sunday evening, that's right. Um, we have about 10,000 minutes left. And uh, to bring God into those, to be intentional about bringing our faith into our everyday lives. That's right. And we'll go deeper into our Sunday morning, Sunday evening. <laughs> Just Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday messages. messages. Man, I still am learning how to say that right. Into our Sunday messages, um, cover other things. We'll also take your questions. So if you have a question, whether it's about the message or about faith and life, the Bible, Scripture, feel free. No, please do send it in. You can email Sawyer at strap at stapletonchurch.com. That's trap with two P's, S-T-R-A-P-P at stapletonchurch.com. We'd love to hear your questions. And we did have a couple of questions that we wanted to cover this morning. Yeah. Um, They weren't emailed in, but you had a couple asked to you, and we'd love to follow Mm -hmm. up on those. Um, So the first one was actually a very interesting question, because I don't think it's something that we think about often um, in our kind of a modern church setting. And uh, this person asked you why you don't read the entire scripture passage that you're going to preach on before you do it. Because a lot of church traditions will include some sort of scripture reading, often the scripture that is that is being preached on that Sunday to really focus so everybody has a baseline of what the, what the text is. 
So yeah, Matt, what, what, what's your thoughts? I love that question because I've thought a ton about it, and I've <laughs> never had anyone ask me it before. So whoever you are, way to go. Yes, thank you, sir. Um, yeah, it was a good question. So that is something like some of my heroes in the faith, I look or listen to their messages, and they have the entire scripture passage read, and then they get into their message. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a different person reading it. In fact, in the past, I did it that way mm. um, because I just thought this is how you do it. Sure. So I was really challenged to rethink this um, a few years ago when I was studying preaching under Kent Edwards. He's a pastor, yeah. or former pastor and a professor of preaching out of Talbot Seminary and Biola University. And he said, don't ever do that. And I was shocked when he said it. I was like, why? You know, why not read the passage? Okay, so there's some benefits to it. Mm-hmm. There's some benefits to it. In fact, you brought up there's even a scripture passage that tells us to it seemingly do that, right? Yeah, in First uh, Timothy, so this is Paul writing to Timothy, instructing him on how he's going to lead the church in Ephesus. And in uh, chapter 4 of First Timothy, verse 13, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to preaching and teaching. So not only is there preaching and teaching, but actually the public reading of scripture. So am I being disobedient, Sawyer? Wow. <laughs> Puts me in a bit of an awkward position. <laughs> no, I, I, think what, I think what Paul is getting at is that there is value. There is uh, maybe even a, a worship aspect to reading Scripture and to reading it together. Sure. That it informs our meetings together as, as the body of Christ. Um, and, so, and yeah, Sawyer even mentioned that we're thinking about, hey, how could we add more Scripture into our worship service, you know, what were some components? Our community group, before we get into the questions each week, we read the scripture out loud. So that's part of it too. So public reading of scripture. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, maybe in the worship service, maybe in the community group. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's different aspects to doing it. So am I being disobedient? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. It's not just the traditional that, you know, which I've been to these churches that, Please stand for the reading of God's word. Everybody stands up. Somebody reads the scriptures, and then at the end of it, they say, "Oh yeah, they say um, this is the word of the Lord," and then everybody responds, "Praise be to God." Right? Yeah. It, oh, maybe many of you like me grew up in more of a liturgical tradition where that was just bread and butter every Sunday. Every Sunday, yeah. yeah. So, so I think the person asking me was coming from a tradition like that, and they liked it. And I was like, "Oh, I totally understand." So why don't I do it? Well, here's the thing. Two reasons why I don't do it. One is uh, that it can be hard to understand, mm-hmm. reading it all at once. Um, so I want it to be kind of peppered throughout my message. Sure. Actually, more than one reason. So that's one of them. You know, people can get lost, confused, uh, and I want them to understand it. I want them to explain this. I exposit God's word so people can expose it. They can see it. Oh, and now I get it. Why? Okay, another reason is um, because it makes the the word actually come alive more as it's told, especially when it comes to stories. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about stories, like I'm covering almost an entire chapter of Scripture, three different stories going on. So for this one, that's last Sunday. like this yeah. last Sunday. Yeah. yeah, so that's a lot to hear in one sitting, to stay attentive, stay focused on it. And two, it gives away the ending. Mm-hmm. Think about it. It gives away the ending. That's what Ken Edwards was so emphasizing. Mm, okay. He says, if you're going to preach a story, why do you tell them the ending of the story? It'd be like going to see the latest Star Wars, mm-hmm. and they're like, spoiler alert, first minute, this is what happens at the end. So-and-so dies, right? <laughs> and then they so go into the rolling credits. This person you yeah. thought died, they didn't actually die. 
I mean, it gives away the ending. You're like, okay, the diehard fans will keep watching, and everybody else is like, uh huh. You know, there's a mm-hmm. disappointment factor of knowing the ending before it comes. Sure. You lose the tension. There's the the provocative. What is going to happen? Even for some of these scripture stories that we've heard a thousand times, mm-hmm. you want to keep the tension because not only am I preaching the story, I'm telling the story. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it's the first time they've ever heard it. But even if you've heard it a thousand times, there's a tension of waiting. Oh, what is going to happen? Is David really going to be able to defeat this giant? Mm. Like, I don't know if he can do it. How is he going to do it? Uh, you know, he's, he's such a small guy. How, you know, everybody else is terrified. And there's just this tension that builds up. And that's why God gave us stories. Yeah. Not just the letters of the New Testament, not just Proverbs or Psalms, which mm-hmm. are songs. He gave us stories. That's right. And there's something powerful in a story. And if, what is it, 70 to 80% of Scripture is story? Yeah, it's about about that. Why don't we convey the stories like they're told a story? Mm. Here's another reason why. Scripture, when it was first given, was primarily oral. It's true. It was told. Yeah. People would listen to it. Yeah, there were storytellers, and they would listen. And they were getting passed on as oral stories before they were written down. Or even if they were written down... I mean, people didn't just go in and or, to Barnes & Noble or order on Amazon. Barnes & Noble, that's an outdated reference now, too, right? People didn't, Colorado. <laughs> okay, there you go. people didn't go into Barnes & Noble and pick up their latest Bible or Amazon. Not everyone had access to the Scripture. Maybe there would be one Scripture for the entire church or, or the entire city. Well, Sometimes, most people couldn't read, too. And in the first century, they, <laughs> yeah, they couldn't read. Even if they had it, like, right. what are they going to do with it? Right. Or they would pass around the Scriptures, like, hey, we got Matthew this month. We'll pass Matthew on to, you, <laughs> to the Ephesus. This church next month and they can have it um so it's like it was told these stories had to be told so if i'm telling a message i'm giving an oral presentation why don't i do it the same way it's okay if we don't read it word for word or every word mm-hmm. and in that's defense i would say you fill your sermons with scripture i hope so <laughs> yeah absolutely like maybe maybe there's somebody out there who doesn't attend our church is wondering well what what kind of messages in that preaching they are filled with scripture they are as you said expository working through the passage yeah and telling the story like like people have heard it for thousands of years and often at the beginning of these passages i'll say i'm not going to read every single <laughs> uh, verse and word in this passage but every verse and word is important right and it, that's the beauty mm-hmm. of the world that we live in now where most people can read where we have access to the bible yep and we encourage you after hearing that message that Sunday, go through, read that passage, read the section before, read the section after, read the Bible. Right. And okay. we're going to work on trying to include more <laughs> scripture reading into our services because there is value there. Right. It yeah. just might not be at the beginning of the message. Right. Exactly. Here's another. There's one last reason. Okay. Last one. I know in a lot of traditional services, sadly, I have heard people read the scripture and you think, wow, this is a biblical church mm-hmm. they value the scripture everybody's standing for the reading of the word and then the guy or lady depending yeah. on the context gives the message and it has nothing to do with the scripture mm-hmm. the scripture's already been read and it's kind of like that was my starting point and now i'm going to say what i think mm-hmm. since i kind of pepper throughout and and format my whole message around the scripture and around what's going on in those verses it's a lot harder to do that personally right like, I have to stay tied again and again mm-hmm. to God's Word. It's true. So I think it actually makes it more scriptureful. <laughs> scripture-filled, maybe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So that's that question. 
All right. Second question. Mm-hmm. Second question. So uh, this past Sunday, you kind of worked through a, a couple passages about healing, about physical healing, how yep. that connects to maybe the focus being on spiritual healing. Yeah. And so somebody asked you what I think is a question that a lot of people have. It's a really common question. I think it's a really important one as well. Uh, basically, they said, are, are sickness, is sickness, illness, disease tied to sin? Is, is there a relationship there? Is 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 sin maybe even the cause of physical sickness? Yep. But I think uh, people in the world outside of Christianity, when they hear certain messages or, or certain things from inside um, our religion, I, I would say that they get that impression. Now, is, is that something that we should be holding to? Yeah, and that's a good question. And it's not just in the Christian religion. Yeah, in true, fact, absolutely. one of the foundations of many religions is that your sin or your bad decisions can lead to physical sickness. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's karma or you know some other force in the world that you will experience physical pain and sickness because of some bad things that you did. Right. So that is something that we want to discuss. It's yeah. a great question. It especially, I think, is highlighted in the second story I covered mm-hmm. on Sunday, which was uh, from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, a very popular story about Jesus because... There's this paralyzed man, can't move. Jesus is popular preacher, teaching in the house. Nobody can get in to see him, and these friends want their friend lying on the mat to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. So they dig a hole in the roof, <laughs> lower this guy in to get him right in front of Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, you're healed. What is the first thing he says? Your sins are forgiven. Right. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so this man's paralyzed then because of his sin, right, Sawyer? Well, I I would say, we keep looking at that passage, I mean, I think what Jesus is doing is different. Mm -hmm. He's saying, he's he's identifying himself as God. He's saying, you know, is it easier for me to forgive sins or to heal this man's sickness? Uh, Now, in that that passage, I don't think there's quite the relationship enough to answer the question. Right. Um, When I heard this question, I was was thinking about um, in John 9. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jesus... Um, is is out and about, and he comes across a man who is uh, blind from birth. Yep. And he ends up healing the man. Um, and famous story. Yeah. I once was blind, and now I see. There you go. That's where it's from. Um, but what people do is, is the disciples come up and ask him. He says, "Jesus, because they have the same question: Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" And then Jesus. Uh, in verse 3 of chapter 9 says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Hmm. So I think right there we can see that at least in this instance that Jesus is saying there wasn't any sin that right. caused this illness. Yep. In fact, it was the opposite, mm-hmm. that God intentionally allowed this to happen and so that he could be glorified, that the works of God could be glorified through this man. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I think is super powerful. That is powerful. And you go back to the Old Testament story of Job. Yeah. Like, Job had no sin. Like, it wasn't because of his sin that he got boils on his skin. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was covered with boils out in the desert when there's hot, you know, heat and sandstorms. And he's like, I mean, I can't even imagine how awful that would be. He ended up scraping himself with stones. Yeah, and it's abundantly clear from the scriptures, like... You read through those verses in Job. It's clear that he did not cause this. Right. It was nothing to do with his mm-hmm. sin, and yet this physical stuff happened. Yeah. So therefore, if you're sick, or what you're saying, Sawyer, that it has nothing to do with your sin. Now, I don't, 
the, the Bible, all, so this is where it becomes difficult, right? Yes. I would say in a lot of instances, that might 100% be the case. Mm-hmm. That there is no relationship between your physical illness and sin, perhaps only that there are physical illnesses because of sin. Okay, explain that. So God created the world perfect. Yep. Back in Genesis 1, it says that it was good, it was very good, that Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God, each other, creation, and then sin enters the world. And because of that, there is a curse. And God promises that because of our choice to choose something other than him, that sin has entered the world, and because of that, the world is no longer perfect. Mm -hmm. And that there's consequences to that. And one of the consequences of sin, not somebody individual sin, but just sin being in the world, mm-hmm. is that there is sickness, that there is disease, that we're going to die. <laughs> right. That death exists because of sin. Yep. Yeah, so right on, like, sickness overall is right. caused by sin overall. Right. Not necessarily your individual sin or yes. choices. Mm-hmm. So to the person who's struggling because either they feel personally or they've had someone tell them mm, the reason yeah. why you're dealing with sick sickness because you have your cancer um, is because of what you've done in the past. Um, or it could be, you know, that you don't have enough faith. Sometimes that gets, it's the opposite. It's not necessarily your sin, but it's your lack of faith that has caused you to have this sickness. What do you say to that person, Sawyer? It breaks my heart. Yeah. Because I, I, I really think they're doing a detriment to that person. Yeah. In fact, I think often in, mo- in the great majority of cases... They are speaking false truth. Right. Because we see Jesus here saying that there isn't a connection between an individual sin yep. or an individual person's sin and sickness. Yep. So to, it, to call somebody out on that when they're already experiencing feelings of, <laughs> of guilt perhaps even right. or certainly physical pain, um, I think there is a relationship between our physical bodies and our faith that, that when we struggle, when we experience the effects of sin – it can hurt our relationship with God. So to hear another believer say to that person that yeah. you don't have enough faith or it's because of your sin, mm. man, that makes things even worse. Yeah. Um, I know for Melissa, yeah. my wife, she, when she was in college, this was before we met, um, Her both of her grandparents were dying of cancer at the same time. Mm. And it was devastating. She was very close to them. Sure. Incredible man and woman of God. Yeah. Um, I mean, people still talk about them mm-hmm. when we go to their home church in Moab. Like, mm-hmm. I remember, oh, you're, this is Poncho's granddaughter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he was a giant of the faith. They both were. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had someone from a particular vein of Christianity sure. say, well, the reason why they're still sick is because they don't have enough faith or you don't have enough faith to heal them because you know, Jesus heals all sicknesses, right? And it was devastating to her to hear that from a fellow Christian who should be encouraging, praying, being and physically present with this person, yeah, absolutely. mourning with those who mourn. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, she also had someone that came up to her, this guy who said, you know, I used to believe that. Mm-hmm. I used to believe that. And he had had some personal tragedy with a sickness and cancer and death. And he said, I used to believe it. Don't you listen to a single word those people say. Mm-hmm. It's a lie from Satan. And that was so helpful for Melissa to have someone pull her aside and say, they don't know, who had used to believe that lie. Um, And was like, no, that's not true. So it's not because of that. Okay. Here's here's a trickier thing, though. 
Okay. Sometimes in the Old Testament, yeah. there are people who get sicknesses as a retribution or as part of God's wrath on their sin. And that is true. Right. That is true. But. Okay. And this is a huge caveat. Yeah. It is not our position to determine that for someone. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. On yeah. we're, we're gonna when we get up to I think Luke thirteen, we're gonna get to the story that's a little bit broader than this, but we'll, we'll address it. But like, there's all these people who die in in an accident, mm-hmm. and some people come to Jesus like, "Oh, did these people sin? Did they deserve it? Was it God's wrath on them that they deserve this?" And Jesus is like, "No, it wasn't." But that doesn't mean you shouldn't repent. <laughs> like, so if I have someone who's like concerned, or if you're concerned, or even me, like I'm like, oh, did I, you know, sin that this God's trying to get my attention? Just repent. Like, use everything as an opportunity to repent. Search your heart, seek your soul. You have sin in your life that you need to root out and kill. Right. What, whether it potentially is the reason or isn't, yeah. what's the worst case? Yeah. <laughs> you repent of some sin. You grow closer to God. You strengthen your faith. Yeah, and, and you have more encouragement to deal with the physical illness that you're dealing with, you know? Like, and, and even if it's not the specific causation, sure. yeah. you should still use it to repent. And I, it reminded me of what C.S. Lewis said in The Problem of Pain. Mm-hmm. So he's addressing this theoretically, this idea of pain, and he says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There's That's something so about true. sickness... And pain and, and potential death that drives us to God. Yeah. So let it drive you to God. Yeah. In fact, I mentioned that on Sunday. I spoke with someone after one of the services. And they started coming to our church because they were diagnosed with, you know, an illness. Mm-hmm. And they said, this person and their spouse are like, yeah, you spoke right to us because that's the reason why we started coming back to church. You know, because of sickness and like. God does use those things that way, even if it isn't a, a cause, causal thing. Right. And I think bringing it full circle, that's exactly what Jesus said, mm. that the works of God might be displayed. In right. Right. Um, so pain and sickness and illness, they might be here because of sin, but God can do amazing things through them and in them. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we've covered a lot already in those yeah, two questions. <laughs> but I did notice something really cool in our passage this last week that didn't really fit in my message. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get to it. So one of the things was, as I was studying through this passage, there was a verse that didn't seem to fit the rest of Luke chapter 5. And I'll just read it right now, because it's such an important verse that I'm like, oh, this is so good, there's so much in it, but how does it fit? And it was Luke chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, And actually, I'll start in verse 15. It says, The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. That Mm -hmm. fits with what we're talking about. But, verse 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I was struggling with it. And I was coached by Ken Edwards, who I mentioned (laughs) earlier. If you find a verse or something in your passage that you're studying that doesn't make sense, it's so important. It might even be the key to the passage. So I studied it and kicked it around and thought, how the heck do I keep this? Like, what does it fit in there? What do you think, Sawyer? Well, it is interesting, right? Because it's talking all about sickness and illness and and healings and all that sort of stuff. But I think the the verse that you read about before is significant. Okay. 
So the news spread about him more and more. So these crowds of people come to hear him, to heal their sickness. They're captivated by what Jesus is doing. Mm -hmm. I think we can see from a lot of famous people how that affects people. Sure. We see that as popularity grows, as people are more and more interested in your life, it causes you to make some crazy decisions, to have an elevated view of yourself. Um, and it, it can potentially, and it doesn't have to, it can potentially lead you down a road of a lot of sin. Sure. And I, I think Jesus, even in a first century context, understood that. Okay. That as more and more people became interested, more and more people became followers of him, following him around, trying to heal sickness, that Jesus knew that could lead him to a place of pride. Hmm. And so what do we see Jesus do as a remedy to that? To withdraw, yeah. to pray, to reorient himself to the mission that he had, bring him back in alignment with God. Sure. That's good. And I think there's value in that. So that that's really great. You're preaching to Justin Bieber and Kanye West and Britney Spears and every famous person. But how, yes. does, it, how does it apply to us? And I don't think you have to be that famous okay. to get that pride. Mm-hmm. I think in our world today with social media where we post something and we get those likes, sure. we get that influence, we can still lead that to pride. Right. But now maybe you're not on social media. Maybe you have a healthy relationship with it. But beyond that, I think there's still, I think Jesus is teaching us a lesson. Yeah. So I have still value in withdrawing. I agree. You're right on. So how does it fit in this passage? That's what I struggled with. It's tough. It's true. So I I didn't study the passage. Right. You did. (laughs) Yeah. So you're right on. I mean, there's something so important about getting away quietly with God by yourself to get realigned. Man, we need it, and we don't do it enough. I will be the first one to say I don't do this enough. Yeah, me neither. Um, I'm always listening to a podcast, even. So even <laughs> when I'm on my own or listening to an audiobook, I'm not really alone. Right. right. There's something ringing in my head. So this is so good, and I need to hear it. But then I was thinking, how does this fit? And uh, the more and more I study it, I think that this is actually something really important for this entire scripture. Mm. And it actually is um, most all of chapter 5. So I'm sure some of you are listening to this while you're running or on the go or doing something. So you can't really see the scripture like what I'm going to say. So I want you to visualize this with me. And actually, we're going to go from verses one to chapter of chapter five to all the way to verse 32. And I covered verses one through 11 last week when we looked at the calling of Simon Peter. And what I saw was actually a interesting structural thing in this passage. Hmm in the writing of it, and it's called a chiasm, okay? You probably don't remember that from high school literature or poetry. <laughs> um, Speaking of someone who learned this in seminary, I don't think they teach it anymore. In seminary? No, not in, oh. in high school. I, I really? never knew that this existed until I went to seminary. Okay, I, I had a teacher named Mr. Horvaz, if you're listening. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, uh, made us, we had this list of, like, 50 different... Um, grammar and literature Later, things literature. and we in the summer before school started had to go through and read as many books as it took to find all 50 of those things and we had to show an example of so it so we did the same project but chiasm didn't come up okay so no. yeah. well that was i remember it vividly but okay so a chiasm what is it well i think a simple way to remember it is like a stairs that mm-hmm. go up and then go down so maybe imagine like the the podium 
at the Olympic Games, right? Okay. You know, if you can see that, but they're level. It's not like second place is higher than third place. It's like <laughs> step up, step down. Playing Cubert. Do you remember that game from old <laughs> yeah. Nintendo? Nobody's going to get that reference to it like us. But you go up and you go down the you steps, go. right? Yeah. So it starts somewhere mm-hmm. it, it, with the step one, and then step two is the higher level. Step three is the higher level still, and in this case, that's the highest level. And then it goes back down to step two mm-hmm. and then to step one. So step twos are all the same level. Step ones are all the same level. And then step three, of course, is the highest. So when that happens, this is an interesting thing. Greeks, and primarily they learn this from the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. If you study the Bible, you will see these all over the place once you begin to look. Um, In fact, the whole Bible, in a sense, is like this. (laughs) The beginning of the Bible is very similar to the end. Um, that there's these these things. So you look at there's these even levels. So one thing to notice is the beginning and the end. That's an important thing. But also what's at the highest level is maybe the focus. So it, it, with that in mind, what I noticed is that the first story in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus calling a sinful man or sinful person to be his disciple. Sure. Simon Peter. Yeah. The very last story in that section is Jesus calling a sinful man, this time Levi, to be his disciple. Mm. Boom. Pretty clear similarities between those two stories. So those are both level one. Mm -hmm. Then the second story is about Jesus healing a sinner. Okay, There is a miraculous healing in these stories, but then Jesus ties it to a sinful thing. And if you miss that, go back and listen to my message from Sunday, The Great Doctor. Mm -hmm. So there's a story, of course, of the, the leper, which would be step two. And then step two on the other side would be that paralyzed man that we mentioned earlier in this podcast. So then the question is, what's step three? Well, I believe step three is that verse we referenced, particularly verses 15 and 16, Hmm. where the highest point is, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So that's actually perhaps the highlight of this entire chapter. Hmm. And when you think about that, like, well, why would this all fit together? Why this this perfect framework of this chiasm, this stair step? Well, I believe that they're tied together. And I think that Luke is trying to show us this. So the question is, how was Jesus able, as a 100% human being, to call awful sinners to be his disciples? If you've ever tried to disciple someone who's an awful sinner, you realize they frustrate you because they sin. It's annoying. Like, why won't you learn? Why won't you learn quicker? Didn't we go over this already? Mm. Okay, it's frustrating. And then you think about healing sinful people. This must have sapped the energy out of Jesus to be around these crowds of people and people either flinging themselves on their face in front of you, heal me, or breaking open the roof of somebody's house to drop in this person on a stretcher to be healed. Man, this is overwhelming kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that's happening all the time to Jesus. So how did Jesus deal with sinners and heal sinners within the crowd? So how did he deal with the crowd and with his sinful disciples? Well, I think that key Mm. is verse 16. There you go. Yeah. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So, if we want to be like Jesus at all, if we want to help people that are hurting, if we want to help sinners grow in their faith, which I believe we're all called to do. Yeah, definitely. I think we've got to get alone with God. Mm. I think you're right. (laughs) That's good. That's really good. Yeah. 
Because yeah, without without that kind of understanding that structure, understanding what it's building towards, I think it just sticks out weird. But mm -hmm. with with what you just explained, I think yeah, I think that's really what this passage is kind of getting at. Uh, and as, as Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be imitators of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a key example: is that if we want to be people who can love the sinner, who yep. can draw more and more people to mm -hmm. God, yeah. who can even bring about miraculous healing, um, then. Yeah, I think we have to be people that withdraw away, that find that time, that carve it out. Um, yeah. We've talked about a lot on this podcast. Yep. Our lives are so crazy busy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think sometimes to bring God into our 10,000, we have to set aside time. We have to be intentional. Mm. We have to say, all right, those first, you know, 15 minutes in the morning, I'm not going to check my phone right away. Yeah. I'm going to take some time to pray. Mm. When, when things get difficult at work, I'm not going to go, you know, go blow off steam, you know, outside or whatever. I'm going to take some time and I'm going to pray. Yeah. When things are frustrating in our, in, at home, you know, mm. when we feel ourselves start to lash out. Yeah. Start to maybe get frustrated. The baby won't stay asleep. Spouse gets home late. Maybe we have a child or a teenager mm -hmm. that's just starting to grind our gears. Yeah. I think Jesus tells us to withdraw, to find a little space and pray. Get alone with God. Yeah, to get alone with God. Get alone with God. That's right. It, or I had some people on Sunday after their, the message felt convicted, like, yeah, I've been so judgmental to this person, and you put on my heart that I need to, to work on that. Because yeah. if God has compassion, if Jesus has compassion for that awful sinner, I need to too. So how do we do that? Get alone with God. Get alone with God. Okay, so this is so helpful and important, and I, I'm so glad I... <laughs> Notice that. I mean, I, I really believe it was the Holy Spirit, like, oh, yeah. me that, like, yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay. But, man, I need this. It's a mm -hmm. message for me, and hopefully you can yeah. benefit from this as well. Yeah. Get alone with God. Get alone with God. Do it right now. <laughs> yeah. Do it right now before you move on to your next thing or the next podcast just automatically plays in your queue. <laughs> Get alone with God. And I'm so glad that you joined us today for this episode of the 10,000, that you're bringing God into your 10,000. If you have questions, once again, send them in to Sawyer at strap at stapletonchurch.com, strap with two Ps. Make sure you like us, follow us, subscribe to this on your podcast app, and we will look forward to hanging out with you next week. See you next week.